0: Jcastnetwork.org.
1: Hello and welcome again to Daily Dot Differently. This is Jeremy Komalowski, and today we continue our study of Tractate Shkalim from the Jerusalem Talmud, page page uh, sixteen. To remind you, from yesterday, we concluded the fifth chapter, uh, and we will now continue in the sixth chapter. Uh, and to remind you that yesterday we mentioned that there is a tradition that the that the ark. Uh, which contained the original ten commandments was hidden somewhere in the temple precincts and so the families of Rabbi Gamliel and Hananya, the deputy high priest they would whereas everyone else had 13 places that they would bow down uh, on the precincts of the temple they had 14 because it was this basically a woodshed and they had a it was a uh, an odd paving stone that appeared to be hiding something so the tradition was that the, the, the itself of the covenant was hidden under there, and there was a miraculous, When somebody tried to investigate, he was zapped, and so that really confirmed it for them, they felt that it was, it was obvious that the ark was hidden in there, and so the page today mentions a number of things that are hidden, there, the Torah describes a, uh, a vestige of the manna, the manna was put in a certain jar so that everyone would always know, but, but of course it doesn't exist, uh, anymore, hasn't existed for a long time. Even in the rabbis' time, that had not existed long before. Well, that went into hiding. Similarly, the oil, anointing oil, went into hiding. We get a long discussion of how how uh, different kings were anointed. We have some discussion of different dimensions of um, of features of the uh, temple precincts. But towards the end of the page, uh, we get an interesting discussion about how the Ten Commandments were, in fact, written. Since we're talking about the ark where the Ten Commandments were were kept, um, we start talking about how the arrangement of the commandments were on the Shneilu Khotavri, the two tablets tablets of the covenant. One view is proposed, a simple, seemingly obvious view to anybody who's ever seen Jewish art. Uh, Rabbi Hanina ben Gamliel says there's five on one, side of the ark uh, of the tablets and five on the other side of the tablets and anyone has ever been in a synagogue will see that depiction of the of the two tablets that's of course how uh, how they are depicted uh, the next view of the consensus of the rabbis says there are ten on each of the two tablets now i have to say that this actually probably makes the most sense because the idea of having two tablets of the covenant as as you may know the idea of uh, a breach a pact between God and the people uh, echoes in ancient literature. Well, what often happened: that powerful kings would make would make uh, agreements with other people, and they would write contracts. And so, I, I have to say that there's a certain logic to thinking that the two tablets of the covenant means one for God and one for the people. In which case, like each party, each party to the agreement keeps its own contract. So if there were 10 on Israel and 10 on God, well, that would make perfect sense. Uh, like, like the famous passage in the Haggadah, where they kind of multiply plagues. There were 10 plagues. No, it was 50. No, it was 200. No, it was 250. We get the same thing going on here. No, it was, it was 20, on each of the two, uh, 20 on each of the two tablets. No, no, no. It was 40 on each of the two tablets. And the rabbis go through their characteristic their characteristic inventiveness in their, in their uh, homilies. Then you have this most wonderful teaching that is given in the name of Hanania ben Ahi Rabbi Yehoshua. The, Hananya, the nephew of Rabbi Yehoshua, who says ben dibor bedibor, shel Torah. that the Ten Commandments, the Commandments rather, had the Torah inscription, had a quotation of, of the Torah. And then all the details and all of the jots and tittles That we associate with the oral law, were actually inscribed there within the Ten Commandments like a filigree. Uh, And he describes it like a great sea. What does a great sea mean? That in between all the great big waves, there are lots of little waves. This really accords with the rabbis' deep commitments in their understanding of, of God's revelation. That yes, there is a revelation from heaven, but it is only the chapter headings and there is so much extra detail yet to be filled in by the time the page concludes, you get the really famous statement, uh, Rabbi Pinchas, in the name of Rabbi Shimon ben Latish, HaTorah she lo haKadosh Baruch Hu leMoshe, Nitnalo eish levana, charuta veeish Rabbi Pinchas is in the name of Reish Latish, the, the Torah which God gave Moses, was written, black fire upon white fire. Eish eish. It was fire uh, mingled in with fire, it was fire carved from fire. And this is a this is a great Josh, because if you imagine the black fire on top of the white fire, of course they're looking at a Torah scroll. The white fire is the background, and the black fire is the letters itself. So to speak, the black letter of the law. Um, you can imagine that what they're saying is that the grand divine wisdom, Total logos, the total uh, meaning of the divine mind, is the background, and the Torah emerges as a kind of, as a kind of a specific articulation of an even more inchoate wisdom. And you can think of so many interesting ways to take this. You can you can think that the black fire are the specifics, uh, the white fire is the general. You can think of the black fire as being the the intellect and the white fire that surrounds it being the stuff that you get by reading between the lines. Perhaps the white fire is the emotional content that has to give, There has to be a frame in which the black letter content, emotional context in which the black letter content has to emerge. One of the really great drashot about this comes from my favorite medieval sage, Nachmanadi, uh, or Moshe Ben Nachmanadi from uh, 1194 till approximately 1270 uh, in, in Catalonia, and then ultimately in the land of Israel. And he records in his Torah commentary and cites this Midrash, slightly different language, he cites a parallel version of this Midrash, black fire on white fire, that there is in the black fire the basic way we have of reading the Torah, the semantic way, He says, reading it for the commandments reading it for what it says. But there would be a dit when God gave to Moses, says Ramban, God showed Moses that there are multiple ways to read the Torah, not just for the Mitzvot. God. God showed Moses also, al God showed Moses how to read the Torah by dividing up the words in different, dividing up all the letters and breaking them into words or, or significant units in different ways. And then you would get secrets, Kabbalistic secrets, into the mind of God. So for him the black fire is the way we read the Torah. Do this with an ox, you know, do this with a field, keep the holidays in such and such a way, keep kosher in such and such a way. But the divine mysteries are the white fire that underlay all of the black fire. A beautiful drash, the rabbis are, in my humble opinion, underappreciated for what inventive Literary and, and philosophical thinkers they are. Here's a great example. Hope you enjoy the tour. Hope you always find in it black fire that helps you live in this world. Hope you always find in it white fire that suggests all that can't you can't put your finger on. Nice learning with you, and I look forward to speaking with you again
0: tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.